I want to welcome you into the Sunday Preaching Podcast of the Point Church, located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. As you grab your Bible, we just sang about amazing grace. We find ourselves in the middle of a series about grace in the book of Galatians. If you're a guest today, uh, we are a verse-by-verse expository church uh, where we are right now going through verse-by-verse through the book of Galatians in a series that we have entitled, uh, Stay with the Grace of Jesus. Stay with the grace of Jesus. Today, uh, I've entitled the message, The Battle Before Us. The Battle Before Us. And we're going to walk through Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Now, in Galatians, we've worked our way through uh, some of the very strong uh, doctrinal uh, passages in the book, and now we find ourselves in a more practical section of the book as Paul writes about the Christian life. And today, uh, the subject being the battle before us, we're going to look at this matter of walking in the Spirit as opposed to satisfying the desires of our flesh. In 1945, Hiru Anoto was a Japanese soldier who received his last uh, command, his last order, if you will, fighting in World War II. He was a very loyal soldier, trained in guerrilla tactics and warfare, who was certainly taught to fight until death, and whatever you do, you never, ever give up. He stayed on the island, the Lubang Island, which was about 95 miles south of Manila, and he refused to surrender in 1945. For 29 years, he continued with his military mindset and did not surrender. He believed that that war was actually sacred and that the emperor was deity. There were three men that were with him, also trained in guerrilla warfare, and and, uh, they stayed together. One of them uh, finally was eventually killed uh, by some locals. The other two actually ended up surrendering in 1954 and 1972, and Haru was actually deemed dead in 1959. Uh, They thought that he had passed away and no one would ever find him. But that was not the case. In spite of the fact that the leaflets uh, that were dropped on his island declaring that the war was actually over, he read those, and they just read that as propaganda. And so they continued on. I'll leave out a lot of the details to say, finally, In 1974, his brother and a delegation went to him and found him and convinced him that, yes, the war truly was over, and they brought uh, him home. The battle was over, but he kept on fighting until he finally stopped. Now, you and I are in a battle today. We know that 2,000 years ago, the war was won. The battle with sin was won. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect life, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life till he was 33 or 34 years old, 
He went to the cross, and on the cross, he bore our sins in his body on the tree. He shed his blood, and he died. After he died, he was buried in the tomb. But praise God, three days later, he rose from the grave. He rose from the grave victorious over sin, death, and hell, being separated from God for all eternity. You and I know today that the victory has already been won. We are not fighting today for victory. The victory has already been won. We are fighting from victory. But here's the reality. Every single one of us, every day, are in a battle. We are in a battle. And here's the battle. The Spirit of God that takes up residence in our hearts and our lives when we are saved is in constant opposition and conflict with our flesh, with the desires of our body. There is this constant pulling of the Spirit of God that leads us into obedience and fruitfulness, and we'll see next week, joy and peace and happiness, while at the same time, our flesh is pulling on us to become entangled with the things of this world. Paul is writing for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in chapter 5 and verse number 16 about this battle going on in our lives. And I want to jump right into the text. And I wrote down really three statements out of this passage, and I made them very personal. I, I wrote them in the first person, and I want them to become personal for you because this is how we must live in the battle before us. We can't go back to five minutes ago. You can't go back to a day ago, a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. The past is behind us. If you're breathing right now, you have this moment and what lies ahead. And I'm going to remind you in the message, there's a battle going on and there's a battle in front of us. How will we wage the war? Paul helps us in verse number 16 by first of all reminding me that I must live by the standard. I must live by the standard. Look at the text, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Anybody in the room ever adopted the Apostle Paul's words when he said, the things I'm supposed to do, I don't do, and the things I ought not do, I do. Can I get a witness in the house of God today? You know what he's saying? He's saying you and I are in a struggle. Here he says you've got this war. They are completely opposed to each other. Your flesh does not say, read your Bible and pray. Your flesh does not say, be a witness for Christ. The Spirit says, be a witness for Christ. Read your Bible. The flesh says, go do something else. And every day, you're in this topsy-turvy feeling. In the, it's so exhausting at times, is it not? Where we're, we're seeing the battle in our lives. But yet, Paul reminds us that we are called as Christians to live by this standard, walk in the Spirit. Many people think that the Christian life is about rules, regulations, and do's and don'ts. 
I want to remind you, Christian, that 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says that wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I want you to look at that word walk for just a minute. The Christian life literally is like this. One second at a time, one minute at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time. We are to be locked in step with the Holy Spirit day by day. It is a place-to-place, step-by-step, moment-by-moment. The word here for walk is literally peripatetic, and it means going from place to place. It's interesting that Aristotle called his school the peripatetic school. Here's what he wanted his students to know, that we are learning on the move. We are learning step by step. Let me hit a timeout here for just a second and say, I believe that's really what Christian discipleship is. Discipleship is not finishing a book and making a hundred on it. Discipleship is step-by-step doing life together like an apprenticeship, iron sharpening iron, that we're doing life, we're moving out, we're moving forward, we are led by the Spirit step-by-step to be obedient to what God has called us to do. Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Now hear me, Romans chapter 8 is very clear. If you do not have the Spirit of Christ in you, then you are not a born-again Christian. We do not believe that there is a second work of grace. We do not believe that you're saved here, and then sometime later you get the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Spirit, first of all, brings you to life, from death to life, revives you, if you will, brings you to life. And then the Spirit takes up residence inside of you, and from the moment you get saved, you're supposed to walk in step, step by step with the Holy Spirit. You see, our Baptist forefathers fought for many years in other denominations as well, Bible believers, let me say that, for individual soul liberty, individual soul liberty. And what that means is Christians have the liberty to follow the working of the Holy Spirit in their life. The question today is this for us. Will we live by our feels or will we live by the Spirit? Will we follow our feelings or will we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit? A.W. Tozer said, God is much more concerned with people's hearts than he is with the state of our feelings. He's much more concerned with our hearts. And so Paul says, I'm telling you, this I say, I'm telling you, this is the only way for this Christian life to work. This is the only way for you to truly live in the freedom that God has for you, and that is to walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. You've got a choice this afternoon, this week, day by day, moment by moment. Will you walk in the Spirit? Or will you satisfy the desires of your flesh? The Greek culture was a hedonistic culture. It was a pleasure-seeking culture. The Greeks said, follow your heart. Do whatever you want to do that makes you happy. Uh, Satisfy the desires of your flesh and the desires of your heart. So Paul is saying to them, that is directly in conflict with the spirit-filled life. 
There's another place in the book of Ephesians, as Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, where he says, don't be drunk with wine. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Don't be drunk with wine, where is debauchery or is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me make a statement. We do not need more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs more of us. We have all the Holy Spirit that we need. The Holy Spirit just needs more of us. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? There are reams of paper written about that, right? Uh, What does it mean? Are there certain actions or attitudes? Uh, We as Baptists, sometimes we get nervous talking about the work of the Spirit. Someone asked me the other day at the uh, Jackson campus service, are you a Trinitarian? I said, yes, I'm a Trinitarian. I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We Baptists have said Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures through the years, as I heard one pastor say. No, we believe in the Father, the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit. What is the filling of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I did a study on this a few years ago, and here's what I found. The true filling of the Holy Spirit is not that you do weird things. 1901, the revival of Azusa, where the modern charismatic movement started, is traced back to that. And I've read a lot about this historically, and there were a lot of things that were going on that were out of the ordinary. The Christian community responded in such a way of of great skepticism. And I don't want to unpack that today except to say that we uh, can fall into the trap of thinking that the work of the Holy Spirit centers around unique things, unique things. When in essence, the shoe leather Christianity of being filled with the Spirit is that you are emptied of yourself, you're emptied of pride, you're emptied of self-centeredness, and your life is under the control of the Holy Spirit, and you are surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. That is the standard that we are to live every day. I must live by the standard. So I want to ask you today, are you living to that standard? Are you walking in the Spirit? C.S. Lewis said how difficult it is to avoid having a special standard for oneself. We don't set the standard. How many of you know that we can fall into the trap of rules for thee and not for me? We don't set the standard. God sets the standard for us. It is simply to walk in the Spirit. Number two, I want you to see in the text, not only I must live by the standard, but I must identify the disobedience in my life. When I I follow my flesh, when I disobey God, and his word, and I go my own way, as a Christian, we have to identify that, and we're called to confess it and to repent, right? That, that we don't have sin in our life. We don't, we don't live in, as Paul said in verse number 13, we don't use our liberty as an occasion for the flesh, but we use our liberty through the Spirit to keep us away from sin. I love John Wesley, the old Methodist preacher who said this. He said, Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing but sin upon sin because that's who we are. That's what, our, that's what our flesh tanks lead us into is piling sin upon sin. And while we do not believe in sinless perfection, what we do believe is that it is our standard. Let me explain that. We do not believe that anyone is sinless. The only one that is sinless is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His righteousness, the sinless Son of God, His righteousness 
is imputed to me. It is credited to my life. It is impossible to live as a human being in this world and not sin. Why? Because we are flesh tames. But yet it is our standard that we seek to live a sinless life. You ought to get up in the morning, Christian, and go about your day determined to not sin and to walk in the Spirit. Because if you're not alert, if I'm not alert, it's going to be very easy. It's going to be very easy for us to fall into our flesh, following our flesh, and not walking in the Spirit. We are to be, verse 19 or 18, we're to be led by the Spirit. If we're not led by the Spirit, Paul in verse 19 begins to talk about behaviors and actions and sins that will manifest itself in our lives. Now, in a minute, I'm going to finish up in verse 21 where he very clearly says that these actions and these behaviors are things that people that are lost do. This is not the way Christians live. So let's look at this for just a minute. As as, uh, Timothy George says, this list today gives us a picture of what it looks like to be self-centered and to live outside of God's norm. He said, we see a picture here of what it's like to rebel against God's norm. Anybody in the room today feeling that in our culture and our society? There is a shaking of the fist at God Almighty to what our Bible says is normal. Normal. I'll go a step further from that. We're seeing a, sh- a shaking of the fist at God about what is right and what is wrong. And Paul begins to unpack here some of the works of the flesh, and I'm going to walk through these with you, and, and, and as I walk through these, I'm going to say some things that I feel like need to be said by a pastor from a pulpit. I'm not saying these things to invoke an emotional response from you. I just feel like we are called to take the Word of God and make application to our lives and to our culture and our society and what's going on. What are the works of the flesh? What are sins that Christians are to stay away from or not be engaged in? The first three that he mentions are related to sexual sins, sexual immorality. He begins by saying that the first work of the flesh is pornea. The word there is the word for pornography. It has to do with loose sexual relations. It's translated uh, The word can mean prostitution. It also can mean fornication. But it is sexual misconduct that deeply grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And I want to say that I believe this subject in this matter, it really begins in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 at the time of creation. When it says that God created man, and He created them male and female. He created a man, and he created a woman. And he said, the two will become one flesh, that a man will leave his father and mother, and he'll take his wife, and and they will live together. They will, uh, I often say at weddings, weave and cleave uh, their life together. They're one. They become one flesh. There are only two sexes, a male and a female. 
a man and a woman. You say, well, yeah, pastor, but, but there's this, that. No, listen, we have an authority. We have a creator. And he said, I created two, two genders, a male and a female. And so if we don't get that right, we're going to get sexuality wrong. If we don't get the purpose of our creation, why he created male and female, to come together in union for fellowship and unity and to procreate and to see the population of the world grow, if we don't understand that, then we're going to get off base. And you, all, you and I know what happened in Genesis chapter 3. The question is, did God really say? And the answer to that is yes, God really said there's only two genders. It's male and female. And when you get outside of that, then we have this sex-crazed culture that we're in today that is completely off the rails. So Paul said to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 that Christians actually, we don't run to sexual immorality, but we flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You have been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body, in your flesh, in your humanity. You are called to glorify God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And so, Paul goes a step further to say that you, you don't even own yourself. You have been bought with a price. That price was paid on the cross when Jesus died. God, I remind you, gave us his very best in his son, the Lord Jesus. He paid the price. He paid the price so that you could be set free from the penalty of sin and that you could be set free from the bondage of sin. We looked at that last Sunday. And so here's the reality, gang. We are not giving God the glory that he deserves when we live in our flesh. When we become entangled in a pornographic society. The word is pornea. The word is pornography. Any type of sexual sin outside of the confines of marriage and I can make a list a mile long here, I'll mention a few as I go through this, is a sin against a holy and a righteous God. Christian, if you're living in sin today, you need to repent. But sexual immorality isn't true love. Sexual immorality is lust. It's fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Sexual immorality is living outside of God's normal standards. He goes on and mentions the next one, impurities. The word is uncleanness, living an unclean, living a filthy life, having a filthy heart, a life that is engrossed in sexual sin. I'm glad to tell you today that if you're in that kind of bondage, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you, to deliver you from that, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you're unclean, he wants to make you clean. He wants to clean you up. But you can't look at your sin and say, well, 
I'm okay, or God, God made me this way, or God's okay with this. No, you're living in impurity. Christ came and died for our impurities. He goes on to the next one. The next one is sensuality. In some of your translations, it says licentiousness, or maybe the word is debauchery. It's just living your life with no restraints. There's no parameters. There's no rules. Just whatever you want to be, whatever your heart tells you, follow that. William Barclay said that this particular sin is a love of sin that is so reckless and so audacious that a man has ceased to care what God thinks or to care about his actions. So it's not only sinning, it's not just sinning, it's flaunting and taunting your sin. Our society has totally lost its shame. And I'm I'm afraid to say that there are some churches that have lost its shame as well where we're not embarrassed about godless behavior anymore. We're not embarrassed about going against God's norms. We just validate it and approve it. And we wonder why we have such a debauched society. Some people today call debauchery their freedom, their choice, their rights. And you and I today as Christians find ourselves in this tension, not only walking in the Spirit against the work of the flesh, but here's the tension that you and I are living in. We believe that every person, again, this is my biblical worldview, we believe that every single person is born in the image of God, the Imago Dei. I have a responsibility to be gracious and kind and loving to everyone. To really live out the mission statement of our church, which is loving people to the point of life, Jesus Christ. I said someone in the hall before the first service today, they were speaking with me about a particular situation, and I said, look, you need to hear me. You're not going to get the results that you want by being angry. Your Bible says that the that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So when you get angry, to make your point, many times what you're doing is driving people further away from the truth instead of loving people to Christ. And so it's my responsibility, no matter, no matter where a person's at in their journey of faith. You know, and sometimes we, we like to categorize sins, right? You know what? No one has ever said to me, Pastor, you really shouldn't preach online because you're going to drive the liars away. Nobody's ever said that to me. Nobody's ever said to me, Pastor, please don't ever preach on stealing because if if there's somebody there on Sunday that's stealing, they may never come back to church. Nobody's ever said that to me. But when it comes to sexual sins, because the culture is bearing down on us so hard, We have people in the church that think we just shouldn't ever talk about it. The problem with that is is that the world is talking about it all the time. And you know what we're doing? We're letting the world educate our kids. Instead of us educating our kids and teaching our kids Imago Dei, right and wrong, human sexuality, TikTok is. The Internet is. 
And I just need to sound, sound a warning today to all of us. We had better wake up. We had better wake up. The things that are going on today absolutely blow my mind. Over the Christmas break, uh, Misty and I had the opportunity to have conversations with two different girls, two different girls, and one of the, one of the girls, young adults, one of the girls told me that she was sitting in another state. She was sitting in her locker room changing for basketball practice. And four boys walked into the locker room and just started changing with them. That was the first moment that it happened for her. And in her mind, she was thinking, what in the world is going on right now? And then she come to find out that those boys had been told, yeah, you can go in there and you can do that under the banner of transgenderism. This young lady's father is not a Christian. He's not a believer. But let me tell you, he was at the school board meeting to say something about how insane it is that you're letting boys go in there while my girl is changing clothes. Another story we heard over Christmas break was from another young adult who has their child in a particular middle school in another state, and they were sharing with us the problem they're having at their school because kids are wearing dog collars and cat collars, and they're barking and they're hissing and they're meowing at the teachers and the other students, and it's so out of control, and there's no discipline in our schools anymore. And it's having an adverse effect. And here's what I know about those stories, is those stories are affecting Christian families and Christian people. So here's what I want to say to you today. We love every person with the love of Jesus, but we do not have to be silent at a godless agenda that is coming against us. We cannot be silent. I appreciate Erwin Lutzer's book, We Will Not Be Silenced. We will not be silenced. What is the problem in those different stories? It's very simple to me. We do not have a biblical worldview. We don't understand our Creator. That's why churches like this need to preach the gospel and disciple all of our young people and remind them what God has spoken over them. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. There are no accidents. God did not create you and say, oh, I messed up. I need to throw that mold away. Oh, no. God creates every person fearfully and wonderfully made, and we need to celebrate the Imago Day of every human being and help everyone understand who they are and who God has created them to be. And let me say, Christian, if you're living in ungodly, sinful behavior, stop it. If you're in pornography, you're in adultery, you're living in fornication, you're living together outside of marriage, stop it. We're called to walk in the Spirit and not satisfy the desires of our flesh. Christians can't live licentious lives. 
Am I speaking to a room that believes the Bible today? You can't do it. It's a work of the flesh. I got to go quick because your roast is in the oven, all right? (laughs) Notice the next one is idolatry. Obviously, Paul is speaking to those who would potentially be involved in, well, we're Christians, but we've got this God from our town or this Greek culture, and, and we, we, we believe in this particular aspect of, of, of the uh, heathen or false gods. And you and I today, I know you're sitting here, and I would doubt that anyone in the room would, would, would have a statue on the mantle at your home that you walk by and rub or that you kneel down in front of and, and you pray to. But here's the reality. Idolatry is just as prevalent today as it's ever been. It just looks a little different in 2022, right? I love what Clarence Jordan wrote about. He said that that today what we're suffering from is the worshiping of gadgets. The worshiping of gadgets. Phones. Computers. Man. We become addicted, don't we? We can't live without it. It becomes something that we're attached to. Maybe it's, maybe it's sports. Some people today have the idol of politics. You can't turn the TV off and read your Bible and pray and go out and tell somebody about Jesus. And maybe you don't even realize that your idol is politics. Paul says those things are the works of our flesh. Let me keep going. Works of the flesh is sorcery. Now, it's interesting, that word is, is actually witchcraft, but the word is actually the same word that we get for pharmacy or drugs. It's very likely he's talking about a mixing of black magic, if you will, with a variety of drugs, but, but, but what he's saying is, is that maybe you're involved in some type of witchcraft and you're also using illicit drugs. Boy, do we have a drug problem today. So many things. You hear about it, you read about it, but I want to focus in on us. I don't want to just talk about all of them. There are Christians today that are coping through life every day through pills. That are medic- You're medicating yourself through alcohol. You're medicating yourself through pharmacia. That's the word there. Now, let me take it another step. I didn't know this until the staff told me this the other day, that maybe the number one or at the top of the toys that were sold for Christmas this year was a toy related to witches, casting spells, and black magic. As I studied this word historically, I'll tell you what else I found. I found that there was a part of drug-induced abortions going on In this day when Paul wrote to this province, take poison to kill the baby in your system and even euthanasia, Paul was saying, Christians, get over here. That's not the way a Christian lives. How about the next one? A work of the flesh is enmity. That word, of course, is is hatred. And, And this section really bears down on our interpersonal relationships. Hatred and enmity is the opposite of love. It leads to the next word, which is strife. Paul used that word nine times in his writings in the New Testament, and every time he used it, 
he was referencing to some type of conflict going on in the church. It, it, it has to do with having a quarrelsome spirit. There are some people who are always battling. They're always picking. Always wanting to quarrel about something. And Paul's saying, that's, that's just not the way a Christian is supposed to live. Another work of the flesh is jealousy. Your Bible says that God is a jealous God and, and that He shares His glory with no one. But the reality of it is we are all flesh tanks and we can fall into the trap of being glory seekers. Can I get an amen right there? We can become full of pride. We can, we can think more about ourselves, Or we look over at someone else and we think, man, I want what they have. You know, it happens to pastors, right? Pastors look over there and they say, man, I wish I had that church or I wish I had that budget. Or you say, man, I wish I had him for my husband or her for my wife. And jealousy comes into our hearts. And remember this, at the heart of jealousy is having a sinful attitude of ingratitude, of being unthankful for what we have. He mentions fits of anger. Fits of anger. Stand back. He's about to spontaneously combust. Or she. That's Misty at our house. No, I'm kidding. It's not Misty. Right? <laughs> Let me tell you something. If Misty gets angry, you better get out of the way, all right? Jesus, even kill all the time. A Christian shouldn't have physical and verbal outburst of anger. Oh, we do it. And I'm going to tell you, if you and I don't walk in the Spirit by next Sunday, there'll be somebody in this room who'll be able to stand up and give us a word of testimony about that. Because we live in a world today where we nonstop get our buttons pushed, don't we? Fits of anger. Oh, I like this next session. How about rivalries? Now, again, he's talking about people in the church where, where people live in self-ambition. The word there literally means that you politic for an office. You want a position of authority. And let me say a word about politics. We need Christians in politics. But unfortunately, many times they fall into the snare of that power and that prestige, and they forget why they're there. The same is true in all of our hearts. We can forget who we are and why God has left us here. The next word is dissensions. That's backbiting and bad-mouthing. And Paul said it back in verse number 15, but if you bite and devour one another, it's a work of the flesh. How about division? Division. You know why Paul is warning them about division? The word there means to choose, to pick sides. You see that in the letter he wrote to the Corinthians. Some of them said, oh, I'm of Apollos. And other people in the church said, oh, I'm of Peter. And others said, oh, I'm of Paul. And thank God Paul said, hey, how about I'm of Christ? We get divided in the church, and it's us versus them. A man walked up to me a last Sunday, and we were just chatting, and he said, hey, I just want you to know I'm a, and he threw out a, a dispensational word to let me know he was a dispensationalist. And I said, hey, that's great, brother. When you get to heaven, you'll find out you're wrong, but we have so many labels today, right? Y'all with me? Those labels cause division in the church. 
I'm a this or I'm a that. How about this? How about in the church today, there are some who gain power in the church. Unfortunately, the church can be a place of cliques. Cliques. The church ought to be a place where the ground is level at the foot of the cross and we are all one body in Christ. No divisions, no divisions. He mentions envy, which is a first cousin to jealousy. We get envious. And then let me hit these other two here. I need to hit this. He mentions as a work of the flesh, drunkenness. Drunkenness. I mentioned Ephesians where Paul said, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Let me say a word about that subject, if I may. I've never ever seen anything good come out of alcohol, ever. Say, Pastor, my liberty. I understand that. But let me say again, I've never seen anything good come out of alcohol. I stood, and I'm not trying to play on your emotions. I'm telling you the facts. I stood at the casket with my wife, of her 43-year-old dad who drowned drunk at 43. My wife knows wrecked cars, police at the house, emergency rooms, and not knowing where dad is for several days. Ask her about what alcohol will do. There's many a kid right now that's getting smacked around by a mom or a dad. I just need to sound the warning. Everybody okay? I just need to sound the warning. I'll never forget 10 years ago on a Sunday after church, a man walked in my office and fell over my desk, weeping about Friday night when he went out to just have a few drinks with the guys. He said, Pastor, before midnight, I committed adultery on my wife. And he said it would have never happened if I wouldn't have had that first drink. I know some of you, your spirit, you want to argue about. Just hold on just a minute. Paul said drunkenness leads to debauchery. Drunkenness leads to orgies. That's the next word. Y'all with me? That means wild parties. Do what you want to do. Live any way you want to live. And notice that the list is not exhaustive. He says, and things like these. There are a lot of other things he could have put in here. But he said, I'm giving you all of these things, all of these things, as a what? I warn you. Let me finish up. As you look through that list, I think every one of us, including the pastor, needs to evaluate our own lives and see if there's disobedience there. Am I disobeying Scripture in any way? Which leads me to the last statement. Paul gives this as a warning to say, I must weigh the consequences of my behavior. Those who do such things, those who do these things, will not inherit 
the kingdom of God. Now, give me your best ears for just a minute. I do not believe, based upon Scripture, I do not believe that Paul is saying that anyone who does one of these things in the list is going to hell. I do not believe that's what he's saying. Every person in this room is capable of anything. But if you're a Christian, when you do those things, the Holy Spirit convicts you. The Holy Spirit says, stop it. What are you doing? The Holy Spirit says, no, you know you shouldn't do that. You know you shouldn't go there. You know you shouldn't engage in that behavior. But there's also a flip side to that to say, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, we, we've got, a, we've got a, a little bit today of people that just want to take, I said it last Sunday, want to take scissors and just cut out some of the things that Paul said as if he's not under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so in case you've got a problem with Paul, let, let's, let's see what John says. Can we do that? The Apostle John, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, what did he say about this? First John chapter 5, verse 18. I want you to see it right here. We know that everyone who has been born of God, will you say those blue words with me? Does? One more time. Now, again, John is not saying that Christians live in sinless perfection. That's why Paul said what he said. I do the things I shouldn't do. So what is John saying here? John is saying that a person that has truly been born again by God's grace, they cannot just keep on living this way without repentance and changing the way we're behaving and living. A real Christian doesn't just keep on sinning and call it freedom and grace. Please hear me. I'm afraid today. I'm not the judge of anybody. I have no one in mind, but I need to make this statement. I'm afraid today that there are a lot of people who have made a false profession of faith, and they think they're born again. They think they're a Christian, but they're just living in the system of the world with no repentance. And when you get off into that world, you start making your own rules. And that's dangerous. So what are the consequences? Well, one consequence could be that you think you're saved and you're not. So I would say be born again by His grace. The other thing I would say is this. If you are a Christian and you think you can go off into the works of the flesh listed here, and there not be any repercussions from it, you don't believe your Bible because your Bible says, whoever the Lord loves, He corrects. He loves you too much to leave you out there in the hog pen like the prodigal son. He loves you too much. Now, here's the battle before us. I'm done. That's the words you were waiting on, right? Here's the battle before us. And it's not, look, this sermon today is just like if I were to preach on evangelism and say, let's go tell the world Jesus saves. You'd be like, yeah. And then some of you will walk in here next Sunday and you ain't told nobody. You know how it is. Come on, let's be honest. 
we have good intentions, don't we? Sometimes we have good intentions. This sermon, this passage is not just a, we're going to fix it today. This is a passage that will challenge us until Jesus comes, that if we don't want to get ourselves in a mess, we better focus on walking in the Spirit. And all God's people said, would you stand with me? Thank <laughs> you.